What's up and welcome into the 312, Chicago's best sports talk by the fans for the fans. Coming to you live from AM1590 WCGO on Saturday, December 29th. I'm your host, Matt Peck, my co-host, Sean Sears. What's up, Sean? Oh, what's going on, Peck? I'm happy uh, to be doing this thing and uh, talking that uh, sports talk that we love to do here. Talking those sports balls. Our producer is Randall Betker. Shout out to Randall per usual. Always appreciate his work. And uh, we got a lot to get to on today's show. Of course, it is late December, and the Bears are in it. Already clinched a playoff spot, and they have one more regular season game on deck. We're going to talk about that and just exactly how Matt Nagy should approach this 16th and final game against the NFC North rival Minnesota Vikings, whose playoff chances are still very much alive. After that, we'll get into the latest in the world of MLB hot stove, what Sean has been hearing as far as some big names that remain unsigned and if and when and how they can come to the Cubs or the White Sox. And we'll wrap up today's show touching on the Bulls who got blown out by by Minnesota, uh, the Timber Bulls, as they're called these days. And Derrick Rose poured in 24 points and got MVP chance at the United Center. And guess who was there? None other than our very own Sean Sears. We'll talk about that. Uh, just a reminder, you can listen to the 312 live at 1590WCGO.com, as well as the TuneIn app and the Smart Talk app. You can also listen and watch the 312's live video feed from the studio on Facebook at facebook.com slash 1590WCGO. WCGO's followable on Twitter at 1590WCGO. We're at 312Pod. Sean's at Sean R. Sears, and I'm at Bulls underscore Peck. All right, so with that, Shawnee, um, we kind of talked about the do the Bears go for the two-seed or do they play it safe stuff last week. And because the Rams got a win last week, as did the Bears, we're kind of in the same boat again this week, where the Bears can get the number two seed and a bye if they win and the L.A. Rams lose tomorrow. Mm -hmm. But the Rams have a pretty cushy game against the very same San Francisco 49ers team that the Bears managed to beat last week, even though it was a pretty ugly game. May or may not have Todd Gurley. We'll see. Um, but, I mean, what do you think here? Like, do you think that the Bears should go for this win and try to get that two seed, or would you rather see Nagy play it safe? You know what? Honestly, at this point, I mean, uh, the Rams, uh, who are they facing next week? Isn't it another easy win? I think it's Niners. It the Cardinals. The Niners. Niners. Okay. I mean, they played us kind of tough, but, I, I mean, ugh, I, at this point, I'd just say, you know, you go out and you win the game. You try and win the game. uh the best you can without necessarily having to give your best, you know, your A game out there. Just go out there, run the ball, you know, do things that aren't too crazy. Simply run your offense. If you win that game, great. Your defense is probably isn't going to allow too many like points. You're going to probably win. You know, the Vikings are a good team. They're fighting for a postseason spot. It's going to be a good game, but, you know, the Rams are probably going to kick the crap out of the Niners, so what does it matter, you know? <laughs> I mean, you would assume so, but there is the the possibility that the Rams themselves play it safe. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, because Todd Gurley's been kind of battling a nagging knee injury over the last few weeks, um, which um, Sean McVay, their coach, told us actually is something that went back to, to week one uh, when it initially got hurt. And, you know, who knows? They they might decide to play it safe and, and sit Gurley. And not necessarily saying that sitting Todd Gurley and resting him equates to a loss against, as you said, a pretty beatable Niners team. Um, but it certainly increases those odds. And it's not like the Niners are a, a guaranteed W. Like, before the Bears struggled to beat them, 
the Niners had put together a couple of impressive wins, including against the Seahawks team that just clinched themselves a wild card in the NFC. Yeah. So, I, like, you know, nothing's for certain tomorrow. That's a good point. And, you know, honestly, I mean, the way Matt Nagy approaches everything, I'd be surprised if the Bears weren't going out here trying to win a football game. Um, that being said, I would say the same for the Rams. I mean, I know Todd Gurley's been injured. C.J. Anderson came in his place and did a great job last week. But, obviously, Gurley is that offense. He's that team. Um, he needs to be there. And if the Rams do decide, you know what, we feel pretty confident playing against everyone, home or away, great. But I'm thinking teams are looking at January in Chicago and being like, absolutely not. Do we not want to play a game there with Khalil Mack trying to kill our quarterback? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other factor is that not only can the Bears be trying to get themselves a two seed with a win mm-hmm. and, and a Rams loss, but they also control their own destiny a little bit as far as if the Rams do win their game and get the two seed and the Bears stay at the three where they currently are, um, Dallas and Seattle are locked in to that 4-5 spot, um, and Minnesota and Philadelphia are going for that sixth and final spot in the NFC playoffs, so... If the Bears beat the Vikings, then they can knock them out if the Eagles win. Mm -hmm. If the Bears lose to the Vikings, the Vikings are in, and the Bears have to play the Vikings again in the divisional wildcard round. So, I mean, what about that, Sean? Do you have a preference as far as who you would rather see the Bears face in that wildcard round, Minnesota or Philadelphia? Oh, man. My gut tells me Philly, but Nick Foles has looked really good. Um, You know... You think about, I mean, both defenses pretty good. The Eagles' defense is definitely on a downward swing a little bit just because their secondary is mashed up. They don't have too many great pass rushers that are healthy besides Fletcher Cox. Um, it's not great. Um, Vikings' defense took a step back this year, but still probably a top five, top ten defense in talent and in numbers. So, like, you really kind of, for me, it's, it's looking at who's the hotter quarterback. And obviously right now, I mean, Nick Foles has been great in a couple games. Showed last year he can take a team to the Super Bowl and win it. Um, he's a guy with a ton of experience. Kurt Cousins and this Minnesota offense seem so dysfunctional at other times. And then, you know, look like one of the best offenses in football in a couple weeks. So, I mean, it's it's a tough toss-up. But I, I would say my gut tells me I, I'd rather see the Vikings just because I'm not as confident in Kurt Cousins as I am as yeah, I am in Nick Foles. Yeah, That'd be kind of my thought. Which, there. which, which sounds silly, right? To, to it's say not, that, it's like, a stupid thing to say. It's you'd a stupid thing to say. Kirk Cousins than Nick Foles. It's like who the hell is Nick Foles? You know, but the, the guy actually did lead that Philly team to a Super Bowl last season. Right. And I feel like I saw it. Uh, isn't it the exact same as far as scheduling wise compared to last season? As far as when he took over for Carson Wentz. Roughly, uh, yeah. yeah. It's like, you know, ha- played uh, had to step in for Wentz to, to start their last few regular season games and then march them all the way to the Super Bowl. But, I mean, I think I'm, I'm with you, Sean. Like, I don't like the fact that playing Minnesota in the, the wild card playoff game means that we will have lost to Minnesota in order for that to happen. Right. Um, be, you know, because that means, of, you know, you're giving Minnesota confidence even coming into our field uh, mm-hmm. for, the, for the playoff game to say, hey, you know, we, we lost to the Bears at Soldier Field in the regular season, but we just beat them at home. We know we can beat them, and now we can go and beat them on the road a week later. You know, it, it, it's rare that you'll ever have to be in a scenario as an NFL team where you have to be asked to beat the same team twice. But I still I, – I, I think I, I'm with you in that it's scared – like Philadelphia scares me a little bit more than Minnesota does 
but mm-hmm. this the scenario as it would play out of giving Minnesota that confidence going into the wild card game having just beaten us that worries me a little bit yeah I mean I agree you have to you just got to beat the guy that's in front of you um when it comes down to Minnesota yeah I mean that'd be the third time you're facing them straight off especially after back-to-back weeks like there's no advantage there that just comes down to probably who makes more dumb plays and I don't want Mitch Trubisky to be put in a situation where he has to be perfect to win a game. You know, like that situation is going to come in a couple weeks when he does face, you know, if they do win that first playoff game and do face the Rams or, you know, the Saints or whoever it may be, that game's going to come. And yeah. I don't want him to have to do that against, you know, the Vikings of all teams, you know. So it's it's it just makes more sense. Beat the team that's in front of you. Take on the Eagles. Their defense is much weaker. I'm very confident against this defense against Nick Foles and as well as Trubisky against Eagles defense. So, I mean, you know, it's it's probably a better matchup, but there's just something about Nick Foles. Like, it's like a folk legend that just kind of scares <laughs> you a little bit. The legend that is Nick Foles. We got to take our first break here on the 312. When we come back, Bears talk continues, including taking a closer look at this matchup with the Vikings on Sunday. You're listening to the 312 on AM1590 WCGO. Stick around. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the 312, Chicago's best sports talk by the fans for the fans. Matt Peck and Sean Sears hanging out with you on Saturday afternoon as we get geared up for the 16th and final regular season game for the Bears, who have a chance to go 12-4 and four with a win tomorrow. Ooh. Who would have seen that? Uh, Sean, as, uh, as we were talking in our first segment about how exactly the Bears should approach this game and should they you know, go for the kill, eliminate another NFC North opponent, which would be a nice little cherry on top uh, were they to win tomorrow, regardless of what the Rams do. Um, here's another scenario. Do you think – so the, the Bears and uh, Vikings are playing a late afternoon game, 325. Mm-hmm. In the very same time slot of the late afternoon games is Rams-Niners. Do you think Matt Nagy is going into that halftime <laughs> locker room keeping an eye on what that score is? and making adjustments at halftime based on perhaps a wide margin if the if the Rams are ahead big at halftime? Uh, yes, 100%. <laughs> I, I think Matt Nagy is going to, if he doesn't have to play, you know, if he doesn't have to put out his best guys out there, um, he's not going to. Um, obviously, like, rest is super important. First round by is even more important. You know, being able to get home field advantage for the majority of those games is huge. Um, but if Matt Nagy can do it without having to rush Khalil Mack and Akeem Hicks, you know, 40 times that game or, you know, Jordan Howard or, you know, Tariq Cohen don't have to touch the ball in the backfield. You can throw Benny Cohen and Taekwon Mizell, keep Allen Robinson off the field, you know, let those guys just kind of play in that game, but until they absolutely don't have to. And, you know, if this game turns out to be a blowout early for, uh, for the, uh, for the Eagles and you know what, yeah, or the Rams or, you know what, that's fine. You, you take it, you play it, whatever. But, yeah, I, 100%. You're playing the schedule. <laughs> yeah, I know. And like you were saying, you know, in our first segment, you, you, you know, you play the opponent that's in front of you. And you just, mm-hmm. you know, one week at a time is the old saying, one game at a time. And there, of course, is a, a level of, of truth and credence to that. But, it, you know, at the same time, doesn't it just seem like Nagy would be uh, ignoring a very practical option and a very yeah. logical option? 
to not he's to, too progressive. To not look at that score at halftime and say, okay, you know, the Saints are, or the the Rams are up three touchdowns. Um, mm-hmm. Regardless of if the Bulls are playing the Vikings kind of evenly, or if they're holding a lead, or if they're from behind, I don't think it matters what the score of Bears Vikings is. Like if you are locked into a situation where you know. Regardless of what you do in the second half of that game, you're coming into the playoffs as the three seed. You can't change your own destiny at this point um, outside of the Vikings getting in or the Vikings getting eliminated. And to me, keeping guys healthy and eliminating any possible risk of injury in the second half supersedes who do you want to play in Minnesota or Philadelphia if that's the, if, if that's the scenario at halftime. Yeah, I, I think so. And I, I think Matt Nagy, if he sees the writing in the wall, it's like, a you know, if the Bears are down a touchdown and the Rams are already kicking the teeth into the Niners, you know, like, you know, what's what's the point of really? I mean, you know, that win's important, but all you're guaranteeing is that Philadelphia is coming to Chicago and not, you know, Minnesota. So right. I don't know. I could see there being like somewhat of like the I, I don't think the Bears would come out of half and just be like, all right, yeah, Chase Daniel, you're in, you know, like <laughs> yeah. I don't think that'll necessarily be the case. But, you know, if the game looks out of hand or at any point, you know, the Rams are beating up on a team, the Bears are down like 10 points, you know, what's what's the harm at that point, you know? Yeah, yeah, so. I think I'm with you there. All right, well, so as far as this matchup with Minnesota, assuming the Bears mm-hmm. are coming into this with the mindset to win, and regardless of what the Rams do, knock their, uh, their division rival Vikings out of that sixth and final playoff spot, you go back to the Bears' win uh, against Minnesota – earlier this season and it was kind of a very similar and familiar game script as far as what happened and how the Bears got the win 25 to 20 was the final score uh, and six of those 25 came on an Eddie Jackson pick six which we have seen multiple Mm -hmm. times this season so the defense Titans gets a score and kind of helps Mitch Trubisky in the offense that has kind of you know been trying to find their footing in some games this season in that game Mitch Trubisky was 20 of 31 for only 165 yards one touchdown and two interceptions and if I recall those picks were were pretty you know head scratching and and, and frustrating but they managed to keep a pretty potent Vikings offense in check so what changes and what changes most this time around Honestly, I mean, I, I think the big difference, you're going to see, obviously, a home crowd that's cheering for Minnesota. It's going to be amped up because they know if they win this game, they're going to the postseason. Um, but I think a big difference is, I think what really happened for the Bears' defense that caused Kirk Cousins so many issues was just that they were getting so much pressure on Kirk Cousins and just making him move and shift around the pocket and, and just get uncomfortable pretty much from the get-go. Even if the sacks didn't start piling up until later and the interceptions started coming you know, later in this game, what the Bears were doing was a ton of like mix between like sets where they were playing zone coverage, but they had man on certain guys, and it was usually Cousins hot or his first read. And so it was throwing him off because he was anticipating guys to move one way. Instead, you know, like Eddie Jackson steps over and covers the guy that he's playing man on. It just throws things off entirely. And I think Cousins just like on top of trying to read a complicated, you know, secondary, he was getting annihilated by guys like Akeem Hicks and Khalil Mack and even Floyd, or, you know, uh, Leonard Floyd was getting in on plays. Roy Robert Harrison, I think, had a sack that game. I mean, the Bears defense was just ferocious and just coming at, 
Kirk Cousins with so many looks he wasn't ready for, I don't know if the Bears are going to be able to take them by surprise like they did last year with some of these awkward, interesting, exotic looks that ended up playing coverage even though they look like blitzes. But with Khalil Mack, he can do anything. So uh, the good news for the Bears, too, is I think this Bears defense is even better this week or better now than they were at that time. So, I mean, you know, it's it's going to be tough for Minnesota to do anything against this Bears defense, but I don't think the Bears are going to have the advantage of, like, necessarily taking Cousins by surprise. Yeah, I, th- I think that's that's a fair assessment. And uh, mm-hmm. the other element, I mean, you mentioned the Bears getting being able to get a lot of pressure on Kirk Cousins and making him uncomfortable, forced him uh, into some uh, some bad mistakes on the day, including two picks, as I mentioned, including the uh, the pick six from Eddie Jackson. Um, but he, I mean, he was sacked two times, but he was certainly pressured and hurried a lot more than that. The other part to me that I thought was just so impressive, and it was another example of Bears fans saying, wow, like this defense is for real, is the mm-hmm. fact that they limited that Minnesota rushing game like severely. Kirk Cousins, yeah. one rush for five yards. Latavius Murray, for four carries for five yards. And their stud, who you know had been battling some injury issues but was active in this, this first Bears-Vikings game this season and is coming into tomorrow's game with some real momentum. Dude's put some solid games together. I think he's got like 460 yards and four TDs over his last four games. The Bears held Davin mm-hmm. Cook to nine carries for 12 yards. Like, that is essentially eliminating the Vikings running game altogether. And I don't know yeah. if the Bears are going to be able to repeat that performance and if, you know, if anything, what the Vikings do to try and change up that running game this time around. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, uh, it's it really comes down to the Bears' front seven, including Trevathan and Roquan Smith, just being able to read that run so well. Um, they're going to have to get tricky and hope that maybe they can run these, like, you know, I don't know, maybe run options. If you can, if you really trust Kirk Cousin to do that, you're just going to have to get guys to commit one way and burn them another way. Because I don't think you can necessarily beat the Bears by running through the tackles unless you've got a guy that's really just getting behind his pads and paired up with a good offensive line. And I think Minnesota's line is good in certain aspects, but I, I just don't, in the trenches, I'm not super impressed with them. They've had games where they've been incredible, but, you know, like we saw against the Bears, they pretty much eight up that middle and the only time they really saw much success is when it was a push to the outside and someone like cook or latavius murray just made one move to get around one guy and got six yards or something but like that was it we didn't see anything what minnesota's been able to do in these last couple weeks is definitely making me think that minnesota should be able to at least get some type of running game which makes them more dangerous in the passing game obviously so yeah i it's a different it's going to be a different look i think minnesota's going to have a little more success and i think Trubisky's going to have to pitch or play much better because um, his game against Minnesota kind of got overshadowed by this great defensive effort. Right. But outside that touchdown to Anthony Miller, it was pretty ugly for a good amount of that game. The uh, the other factor in this um, Bears-Vikings game from earlier this season, 25-20 Bears win, was the redemption of one Cody Parkey, if you recall. Yeah. Remember? So the, uh, you know... Bears fans were going nuts with, uh, you know, I, I think, is wasn't it the previous week when the Bears were able to uh, beat the Lions despite um, Cody Parkey yeah. missing and hitting the upright four times in one game? Yeah. So Yeah, and then we had, like, Chopper 7 from ABC, like, 
videotaping Parky's picture right. or like uh, pra- practice from whatever. Field it's goals just, at Soldier Field. Yeah, which was apparently the thing <sighs> like, that he did for the first time leading up to that that yeah. game, where it's like, why have you not been practicing at Soldier all this time? <laughs> yeah, but dumb. I mean, but yeah, so, so exactly. Cody Parky bounced back from that, where everybody on Bears, you know, Bears talk around the city say, "Oh my God, I can't believe you know we let Robbie Gold go for this guy. This guy's terrible. Right? How the heck do you miss that many kicks? And you know, not just field goals, but PATs. And then the the Vikings game was Cody Parkey's redemption. He hit all of his PATs and hit three field goals, uh, including a 48-yarder late in the game uh, that uh, kind of pushed the Bears' lead forward a little bit and gave them some breathing room uh, as the Vikings mm-hmm. tried to make a bit of a comeback. So, I'm we, like you know, last week we saw, guess what? Cody Parkey missed another kick. So that could very well be a factor in this game too. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. Uh, Cody Parkey had been for the most part pretty solid coming into the uh, into yesterday or last week's game, and yeah, after that, I mean the Minnesota game, I think restored everyone's confidence because he obviously, you know, kicked field goals when he couldn't do it last week. Um, <laughs> it's I, I'm not necessarily worried about Cody Parkey. I think he's a good kicker, especially he's going to be indoors in Minnesota. I don't think it'll make a big difference, but yeah, I mean you're never. I don't think the I don't think we'll ever be as confident a kicker as we wasn't as we were in Robbie Gold. I mean that dude just it felt like years went by and he didn't miss kicks. He was just incredible. And obviously now he's left the Bears and done a great job in San Francisco, um, which you know makes me makes my heart hurt and hurts my feelings quite a bit. Yeah. But you know, good for that guy. <laughs> yeah, I think what he, but he, yeah, he's missed like three kicks in the in the past since he left the Bears. Yeah, Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Well, we didn't want to pay yeah. that guy too much money. Um, yeah. So, all right. Uh, before we take uh, take our next break here, what do you think happens in this Bears Vikings game? Assuming that Nagy doesn't take his foot off the pedal uh, at halftime or at any point in this game, do the Bears mm-hmm. get a win in Minnesota and eliminate the Vikings, or do you think the Vikings fight their way into that final playoff spot? I think this might be a tough game. Um, the Bears just don't seem to play as well on the road as they do at home, uh, which makes sense. But um, I thought last week's win was impressive in the sense that the Bears did a really good job of just controlling that game in all phases for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, had a, you know, uh, Paddle Donald had a couple of really good punts, you know, that got that pinned the Niners. The Bears defense obviously was great, and the offense executed when they needed to. Um, so, you know, a win like that is great. The issue is Minnesota is going to be just as stout potentially on, defensively, on the defensive side of the ball, and offense is going to be firing on all cylinders trying to get into the postseason. So, it's going to be a tough game. It's going to come down to who makes turnovers, and it's. I feel like the Bears are the better team at creating and capitalizing on those turnovers, and I feel like that's what wins this game again. All right. Uh, well, I I would like to say that uh, that I'm, I'm with you, but I, I don't know, man. I This just has all kinds of bad vibes around it. I think the Vikings, as a flawed team, are still going to put up enough of a fight, and I think it'll be a close game. But I think the Vikings come out on top, and I think we end up having to play them again. Mm. Uh, we got to take another break here on the 312. When we come back, we're diving into MLB Hot Stove. What is the latest with Bryce Harper and all the other big names? Uh, and will anyone finally come to Chicago? That's next here on the 312. Stay tuned.
Welcome back into the 312 Chicago's Best Sports Talk by the fans for the fans. Coming to you live from AM5090 WCGO. Matt Peck and Sean Sears. All right, well, we've got Bears-Vikings down. Uh, now we have to shift our attention to the offseason of Major League Baseball and the fact that Bryce Harper has become like the most annoying, an obnoxiously elusive person uh, in my recent memory, as far as what happens with the biggest stars in baseball, Sean, we were talking last week about where we were in this Bryce Harper situation, uh, and we can also touch on you know Manny Machado a little bit. But let's start with Bryce Harper. You were saying last week you thought that the Cubs were in fact the team that was leading the way and most likely to get Bryce, and it's kind of about Bryce allowing the Cubs to make some moves that they need to make in order to bring him here. Um, and now we also were talking about the Dodgers big trade um, that they made last week, not being about freeing up space for, for Bryce Harper, but for pitcher Corey Kluber. But now it sounds like, uh, well, the Dodgers are actually still in the Bryce Harper hunt after all. So what's going on? It's uh, it's a good question, man. It <laughs> It's tough to kind of figure out exactly what's going on here, just because it seems like every team likes to think they're the FBI and they have secret intelligence that only they can know and things like that but from what, everything we've been able to gather this weekend john Heyman, who used to be with cbs was with he's with fan craig now was with fan uh fan rag at one point all over the place great insider for baseball he came out on uh, mlb network earlier this weekend and was asked a question if he felt between the two big market teams being the dodgers and the cubs who were still in bryce harper that he felt like he would lean towards the cubs um and so everyone kind of mistook that thing and started running with it assuming that the cubs were the favorites i still think they are just because i do believe the dodgers were trying to clear outfield spots for some of the younger guys they've got their top prospect alex verdugo uh, cody bellinger has to find a place to play max muncie could be in the outfield again or first base whoever they decide to play where they've got a ton of young guys they need to find roster spots for it you know, Bryce Harper makes sense, but he does make that lineup super left-handed heavy. I don't think anything has necessarily changed other than I think people are kind of narrowing it down in their minds to the Dodgers and the Cubs, who I think it's truly been for the last couple weeks at least. So there's not anything necessarily new. I think people are just starting to feel and see how many teams are getting weeded out and who has a realistic shot or whose interest is really that serious at this point. It seems like the Cubs and the Dodgers are those two teams. So, in your mind, Phillies no longer in the equation. White Sox, it seems like, have been kind of on the outs with with Bryce Harper for a while now. Um, mm -hmm. I, I mean, like, what about the Yankees? People keep talking about Manny Machado, and we can get to him uh, in a second. But like, to me, like, yeah, the Dodgers are sneaky, and all of a sudden they're they're in play for for Harper, and that would be heartbreaking. But I feel like the Yankees might all of a sudden swoop in and steal either of those guys. I think so, too. Now, the, the the Cubs did put out a report, or there was a report that came out that the Cubs reportedly told Scott Boris and Bryce Harper, um, obviously his agent, that if they did come to a deal, or if they did get an offer from a team to reach out to them, and they would try and match that deal. But essentially, it sounds like the Cubs are doing are just out here trying to find out who will take guys like Jason Hayward, Tyler Chatwood off their payroll so they can go ahead and sign these guys. Um it would it could take something along the lines of 
uh, you know, Ben Zobris getting traded. It could be something ridiculous, but the Cubs are trying to find a way to create roster spots or, or you know, basically salary cap relief to go get these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, the Yankees and Dodgers are probably trying to do the same, but the Yankees are definitely a team that could be laying in the weeds, ready to make a move, because they obviously could have told Scott Boris the same thing too, and Scott Boris would be stupid not to call Brian Cashman as well as Theo Epstein and create more, you know, attention to his clients so you know it it, uh, no one's out of this the Phillies could very well still get Bryce Harper it just seems like the two teams that are really you know getting closer to these final steps of acquiring a guy like Harper are the Dodgers and the Cubs um and it feels like to me the Phillies are more interested in someone like Manny Machado and I feel like the Yankees are in the same boat as well so that's kind of where I'm seeing things as they start to solidify here do you feel like if the Cubs don't get this done and they don't get Bryce Harper that it will be a a marked failure from from the front office guys Theo and Jed and do you think that there's any kind of pressure on them to add another mega star to this already very young and talented team that kind of fell short of people's expectations you know th- they really struggled through some injuries in 27 uh, in 2018 uh, which is unfortunate because people want to talk about the Cubs like they had this disastrous season it's like like they won 95 games and they lost a you know a, a winning in wild card playoff game after coughing up a, a bit of a lead in the division and yeah that stinks but people are talking about uh, and, and like the other factor and I want your opinion on this too Sean is Joe Madden coming into the final year of his contract is kind of like a lame duck manager and the fact that that very same front office that might be under pressure to make something big happen has also said you know we're we're com- comfortable with how things are because they've been getting a lot of questions about Joe Madden's future with the ball club, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I honestly, I, I don't think this is necessarily going to be seen as a failure from the front office. I think they're making a more concerted effort than people are realizing, and they're pushing hard for the, for Bryce Harper, but I don't necessarily, necessarily think they're going to look at this and be like, well, we're screwed. Um, I, I know they know that this team is a 95 95- you know, when club that had their best pitcher and their best hitter, hitter miss a good amount of games and not play 100% for almost the whole season. Um, you had you lost your closer, and then you lost your backup closer, and then your other guy you expected to be your closer wasn't very reliable, and, you know, then you're looking at Jesse Chavez at closing games. Like, this team just literally crumbled as they came to the finish line. And, you know, it, it's just something that happens, but I, I, I see what the Cubs are doing to at least add depth pieces while they can. If they don't get Bryce Harper, this is still a 95 club team that just got Chris Bryant back. So this is still a really good team. Um, I, I don't think they'll necessarily look at it as a failure, but they'll definitely, I think, look at the what they have on this roster more intensely and decide what they need to get rid of after, maybe even at the deadline if things don't go the way the Cubs are expecting. And this is definitely the make-or-break year in the Theo Epstein regime here for Chicago. Um, and let's uh, let's touch on the, the Sox uh, here for a bit. Mm-hmm. It seems like you know Manny Machado play, certainly played the field, uh, and went around and you know visited a lot of potential suitors. Uh, yeah. It seems like, like with uh, Bryce Harper, the Phillies are kind of out, uh, or certainly not at the forefront for Machado. Um, everybody's thinking that Machado ends up with the Yankees. Is that where you think he ends up? And do you think the White Sox have essentially swing and miss on both of the big names this offseason? 
Yeah, that's that would be my safe assumption. I, I, I don't see the White Sox attracting anyone just because they've got a good nucleus, but a lot of these guys are still unproven. You know, Young Moncada is supposed to be their best player, and we really haven't seen him take that next step. He hasn't been... He hasn't, he's been definitely more of a Javier Baez than a Chris Bryant, if we're going to look at it from a Cubs perspective thus far. Um, but he's supposed to be their superstar. You haven't really seen that. Um, Aloy Jimenez should be up with this team this year. We'll have to see how he translates and if he's really going to be you know, the next Miguel Cambrera or if he's going to be something a little bit lesser than that. He's still going to be very good. But you've got a lot of influx. Michael Kopik got hurt last year. You look at this pitching. It hasn't necessarily stepped up to where they expected it to be quite yet. There's a lot of young pieces on their way. They aren't necessarily enticing, and they're probably still three years away from really competing. Um, so I, I don't see Bryce Harper and Manny Machado wanting to be 30 when this team's actually going and make, making postseason runs. I think they want to yeah. go, and you know, if there is a transition year, maybe one year, but they want to go in and start winning championships, particularly Bryce Harper. He's been you know, seen as the second-best guy in baseball. He wants to go out there and show, you know, hey, he can go win championships, and he might be able to do even before Mike Trout does. Right. So, you know. There's that, but you know, I, I it, there's so many things to it. I just don't see the White Sox really jumping out and being the team that gets a Manny Machado or Bryce Harper quite yet. Uh, they on. would though. What? Go One ahead. thing I want to tease before I let you go, or before we start, jump over, Mike Trout is a free agent after next season. If the White Sox are you know looking like a good team, maybe Mike Trout wants to go play for the White Sox. There is an option there, Nolan Arenado. There's some free agents coming up that would fit better in the Sox timeline. So. I mean, Trout on the South Side would be awesome. I would be even as a Cubs fan, I would be so for that. I think that would right. be wildly entertaining. That dude has always just kind of skated under the radar as far as the the star power <laughs> and right. the fact that the dude just never gets any national media attention really compared to a guy like Bryce Harper, just because you know he's he's for the most part just been. You know, not not super relevant late in in important October baseball, and he hasn't been right. a guy who's searched the, for for the spotlight. Certainly seems content to just be a damn good baseball player that nobody talks about. So that would certainly be interesting if if Trout all of a sudden was uh, was on the table for the White Sox. But what about what about the uh, the the golfing pair? Did you see this? <laughs> like uh, it was like earlier this week. The, the White Sox, who acquired Yonder Alonso, who's actually the brother-in-law of Machado, yeah. they, uh, they went golfing together down in Miami, uh, which we heard about via an Instagram post. God bless Instagram posts and the athletes who run them. Um, any, anything there? Because like, people talk about the Bryce Harper, Kyle, uh, or uh, Bryce Harper, Chris Bryant connection all the time. Is this mm-hmm. a real connection between, you know, some quasi family members that might actually lean Machado to the south side I, there's probably something there yeah I, I would assume Manny Machado would would you know be interested in playing with his brother-in-law Yonder Alonso from everything I heard as a good teammate um, but all the White Sox did was essentially buy themselves some insurance in case they do want to trade Jose Abreu uh, they paid him kind of a nice amount of money. They must think Alonzo could profile as a long-term DH or a piece that makes sense in the future. Maybe they could flip him at the deadline. That's kind of how other teams have seen him over the last couple of years. Um, but 
I don't think it's going to be enough to sway Machado, um, especially because of the things I said before. This team, even with you know Alonzo and Machado, those are your two best hitters. Like that's not <laughs> like Machado's great. Alonzo's a pretty step below. Everyone else is like giant question marks. That's still not a good team, you know. Like it's it's not going to win you games. So I, I there's probably something there, and I'm sure Machado would love the idea of doing that. But there, there's got to be more to bring him to him. More than likely, you know, having really good players around him. Uh, all right, real quick before we take a break, does anybody take the Jason Hayward contract off the Cubs' hands to try and make this Harper thing happen? Phil Rogers kind of, like, dove into this a little bit. He's been writing for Forbes this year. Um, you know, there's some stuff about the Giants, and I've heard, like, people have, like, tried to throw random things out saying, like, you know, the Giants and Cubs are renegotiating a trade, and... I've seen crazy things thrown out there. It just doesn't seem like I don't think anyone's going to really take the risk at this point. And honestly, Hayward at this point probably provides the most value to the Cubs than any any other team just because of his leadership qualities. So um, unless the Cubs get a slam dunk deal, I think what's more likely is that if they do sign Bryce Harper, they're just paying a ridiculous uh, luxury tax and less likely than trading Hayward to add Harper. Right. Well, hey, man, I would not be upset about the Ricketts paying a giant luxury tax. I think I'd yeah, be okay with that. All right, we got to take our final time out here on the 312. When we come back, uh, we're going to touch on the Bulls. Uh, the big drama of the week was Derrick Rose and Tibbs coming back to the United <laughs> Center. Sean was there. We're going to talk about it. That's next. Stay tuned. Welcome back into the 312, Chicago's best sports talk by the fans, for the fans. Matt Pack and Sean Sears hanging out with you a little bit longer here on Saturday afternoon. Uh, and before we get out of here, we have to check in on our woeful Chicago Bulls. Um, we, you know, we're going to leave the Blackhawks alone because they've actually won some games recently. Uh, so good for them. <laughs> but so the, the big story um, was uh, the Bulls playing Minnesota earlier this week. Um, you know, the, the former coach, Tom Thibodeau, Luol Dang, who was a DNP, but still there. Taj Gibson, uh, still balling uh, as he reaches mm-hmm. the, the latter years of his NBA career. And, of course, Chicago's native son, Derrick Rose. Coming to Chicago, uh, put on a clinic. Um, uh, in particular, Derrick Rose, who had 24 points and 8 assists uh, in a starting role. Um, which, you know, usually Derek has been coming and playing off the bench for the Wolves this season. But he starts, he, he gets 24-8, and eight, and he gets MVP chance at the United Center. No Bulls player has gotten those chance this season, and I don't necessarily no. blame the fans that are there watching because outside of some, some Zach Levine outbursts here and there, there's, there's no guy like that on this Bulls roster right now. But it wasn't so much the, the realness of an MVP chant, but just the nostalgia of an MVP chant for Derrick Rose in that building. Sean, you were there. What was it like to watch Derrick balling it up in a different team's jersey at the United Center earlier this week? I'll tell you what. I jumped up and cheered way more for Derrick Rose layups than I did for anything else <laughs> last night um, or a couple nights ago. It was, I mean, it was just, it was very strange. Um, we got there right before tip-off. So we, we got there and, and, and didn't get to see any tribute videos or whatever, but we saw them announce, you know, Derek Rose from Chicago, and the big cheers were there, and that was awesome. Um, it was just an, it was a weird environment because I, I my girlfriend had bought me tickets to this game for my birthday about a month or so ago, and I was honestly expecting to walk into this and just see 
basically an empty United Center. Yeah. Um, but the place was packed. There was a lot of fans in there. Um, it was a different environment, but uh, it was so weird to see Derrick Rose, especially in – I was not expecting the, the Prince jerseys to come out for right. like their city jerseys. Yeah. It was weird to see Derrick Rose not only in not Bulls uniform on the field or on the floor, but like in a Prince jersey. It was just weird. But, um, I mean, he just – he looked like Derrick Rose, and he. I kept saying all night, "God, he's doing Derrick Rose things," yeah. and I feel like I said that very little in the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, and that's why everybody's just really, whether it's Bulls fans who are feeling nostalgic or just fans of the mm-hmm. NBA who remember the dominant player he was. Um, you know how, right. how long ago it was now? Eight years ago, um, the, the player who became the youngest MVP in the league, and everything that happened to him subsequently with the injuries, all the off court drama that he's been through over the last couple of years which it sounds mm-hmm. like he recently finally put behind him and won the appeal uh in that off the court uh civil suit that he had going on but the the his play on the court in particular and you know he had the 50 point game earlier this season that he was very emotional and everybody was you know all in for d rose and the rose stands came out of the woodwork with a vengeance and I mean, like, you know, I was talking on Bulls Outsiders after that game, and I'm like, you know, it's cool to see Derrick Rose play like that. Um, And I agree, there is a certain level of nostalgia to it, and it's awesome to see the guy playing not quite to the same athletic level as he was when he was, you know, 22, but still some of the same crossovers and the slashes to the hoop and the floaters and all the different ways he can score on a basketball court. It was really fun to see the impressive Derrick Rose back at the United Center, but I also was saying – there's there's some unhealthy relationship that exists between Bulls fans and the the aura around who was Derrick Rose versus who is Derrick Rose. And after a game like that, Bulls fans all over Twitter saying, "Bring back Derrick Rose. We got to bring back Derrick Rose." And I'm saying, that is a giant can of worms that I have no interest in opening. I don't know about you, Sean. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously being there, I was super nostalgic. I like you know, halfway through the game, I was like, man, do you think they sell, like, purple Derrick Rose jerseys? I think I can get one. <laughs> I was talking to my girlfriend, and she just shakes her head. But, um, I mean, it, <laughs> I I mean, the I think the biggest and, and worst idea would be to bring Derrick Rose to the Bulls simply just because you look at this roster. And the way they were playing last night or a couple nights ago when I was at this game, uh, just disappointing. Like, even my girlfriend, who's, like, watched the Bulls maybe a handful of times the last couple of years, was like, man, this team doesn't look like they want to be out there. And you know what? They don't, Nika. They've lo- <laughs> they haven't won. <laughs> the Bears have won more games than the Bulls right now. Or maybe they're tied at this point. Oh, it, no. Uh, the Bears have 11 wins and the Bulls have nine. Exactly. So I mean, you know, like, good lord, yeah, this team is awful. They hate it. They can't. They just had their fire. Their coach can. This new coach tried to make them practice. You know, for the equivalent of four days straight. You know, like it. It's it, it. Obviously, things are not going well in Chicago. Their front office refused to admit anything. And I feel like honestly, when Rose was smiling with the MVP chance, I'm sure he had to think, "Wow, this front office has to be pissed right now." <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, obviously. The the front yeah. office and Derek did not leave on great terms. I feel like they were mm-hmm. they were disappointed that after investing that max contract in him, which of course was a no brainer decision at the time, mm-hmm. a a often injured Derek kind of hamstrung the the organization financially as far as what they could do to try and put places around him and and stopgap players around him, and he never really got back to the 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 player he was. 
So there, there's all there, like I feel like, and at, at the same time, Derek had some really frustrating years here, where mm-hmm. the front office didn't really, uh, you know, vocalize clearly how they felt about Derek playing versus Derek not playing. You know, there was always the weird stuff about like, well, he's medically cleared to play by the doctors, but he's still sitting out, and like Derek clearly was kind of villainized by the media up after a certain point uh, when Bulls fans got sick of waiting for him to come back and right. be the same player that he was before. And so I feel like you know the the trade and moving on from Derek needed to happen. It like it was time. And sometime down the line when Derek hopefully several years from now is finally getting ready to call it a career cuz I do hope he continues to play cuz clearly the dude can be a good NBA player still. You know, right. you, can, you might even say an above average NBA player this season. But I mean, those fans clamoring to bring him back. I think I don't think that would be a healthy relationship for Derek in the front office. I don't think it would be a healthy healthy relationship for Derek in the media. I don't think it would be a healthy relationship for Derek and this fan base. That nostalgia is one thing. Giving him an MVP chant because his team came through the United Center and he's playing great this season. That's one thing, and I'm okay with that. And I've been getting a lot of heat this week on Twitter for people. Oh, you're a rose hater. You're a rose hater. No, I'm not. I'm a realist. And I know that Derrick Rose mm-hmm. coming back and playing on this team right now doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And the expectations that would be put on him. And people say, no, well, less expectations this time. Just be, a, you know, be a veteran leader and a role player and all these. Okay, well, he's never been yeah. a veteran leader. That's not his shtick. Um, he couldn't be a leader for this young team right now. He's never been that guy. The, the expectations, you can say, well, just a role player this time. We're not going to expect him to be like the MVP of the league. Uh, like, you're, you're kidding yourself if you think that that's yeah, how the Bulls right. fan base feels. They would immediately put all kinds of pressure on him to be Chicago's hometown kid again and be an all-star caliber player again, especially if he really continues to see this season through and play at the high level he's playing at now. And guess what? The first sign of injury, the first sign of worry, the first sign of Derrick Rose being mm-hmm. less than all of those expectations, we have to go through this all over again. And I don't want that. No, I, I don't either. And what, what what needs to happen is the Bulls need to find a way to get Zion. And yeah. and then we can shoot Jabari out of a cannon at some <laughs> point this season. And suddenly it's like, oh, that's right. This team has players that fit the scheme that they were trying to run before. That's right. Okay, here we go. You know, you get a healthy – you basically – I see this as a season, you know, don't – don't win more than nine games, Bulls. I, I'm not going to be upset about it. That's fine. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is a shot season. The last thing we need to do is add Derrick Rose to this mixture and take another step back. Although the front office loves to do that. Um, Dwayne Wade and Rajon Rondo were just players on this team two years ago. Oh, um, my God. <laughs> don't remind me. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, this t- it's a giant. It's a, it, I, I Honestly, I'll have no hope in the Bulls until they add some type of new front office members. And that probably won't happen until, you know, the bottom dollar starts to decrease. And that's not going to happen. Yeah. So. Well, Paxson did say on his Christmas morning interview, yeah. if, th- if this rebuild doesn't work this time around, then the people who want him gone might get their wishes granted. So you never know. Uh, we'll keep on hoping. That's it. We're out of time for this edition of the 312. Uh, that flew by. 
Um, bear down tomorrow, everybody. Hopefully the Bears wrap up the regular season with a win and get some momentum coming mm-hmm. into their playoff for the first time in eight years. Uh, and in the meantime, we have Blackhawks uh, playing Colorado tonight. Puck drop 8 o'clock. And then the Bulls round out their 2018 calendar year with a trip north of the border to play the Raptors tomorrow night. Um, enjoy your weekend. Bear down. For Sean Sears, for Randall Betker and the crew here at WCGO 1590, Matt Peck saying thanks for listening. Have a great weekend, Chicago. We'll talk to you. Happy New Year, Chicago. Peace.